0: This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, April 4th of 2018, it's episode 129. In this episode, playing support characters, plus connections outside of our core interests in churches and gaming communities, ending a game early, putting an end to a moida mystery, lifting up others at the gaming table, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Tim.
1: Welcome, Tim.
0: Thank you. Normally, yeah, i you know introduce the guest, do the usual thing, but Peter, you invited Tim on. Yeah, so we've we've got Pastor and friend of the show Tim Decker on
2: tonight to talk about support characters with us. So Tim, why don't you Hi. introduce yourself and let our other listeners know about you?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be on. I, I certainly appreciate the invitation. So I'm a lifelong geek. I've been playing uh, role-playing games since probably 1982, so that dates me a little bit.
2: I was four. (laughs) You were four, okay. (laughs) And I'm the (laughs) oldest member of the regular hosting team. I was not born. I was
3: eight. (laughs) Nor was I. (laughs) So as well as uh, being a uh, lifelong geek and gamer, I also pastor a small church uh, in Owasso, Michigan, called Christ Community. And uh, it's really filled with uh, fellow gamers and geeks, and I'm pretty proud of it. So I'm excited to be here.
2: Oh, very cool.
0: Very nice. Yeah, we're glad to have you.
2: Yeah. We like to get geeky pastors on whenever we can. So <laughs> oh, yeah. We've still got one or two more in our regular group of geeky faith people that we need to lasso and drag on, right. but we just crossed another one off. We got Tim, yep.
0: so. Yep. <laughs> we have you now. <laughs> yep. You yeah.
3: got it, and you're not getting rid of me, so. There we
0: go. <laughs> Okay. Tim, we really do appreciate you coming on. This is promising to be a very good discussion. I'm excited for it. Do you have something you want to kind of plug for our listeners real quick?
3: Actually, I guess as a plug, I I just think uh, I would covet prayers. You know, Christ Community, it's a church plant. We've been going for six years, and we're really looking at ways, um, unique ways to impact the geek community as far as locally. So really, uh, my plug is to covet prayers for us kind of moving ahead and and doing some things in a unique way. We live in a smaller community. It's about 14,000 people. So that's kind of my plug is uh, my church and asking for prayers. We're pretty excited to uh, see what we can do to uh, reach out to the geek community.
0: Sounds
2: good. Right. Just to put you on the spot a little bit, Tim, since you brought this up, what kind of stuff are you doing with your church plant out there?
3: Well, right now, as far as ministry-wise, kind of one of our strongest ministries right now is actually an anxiety support group. That doesn't have anything to do with uh, geek culture. but No, but it's very important. It <laughs> is very important, and it's actually uh, coming along really well far as uh, to the geek culture we are looking you know at some different ways the, the issue that i have in my community is we used to have a local game store that shut down about three years ago so and it makes it difficult to not have a central location where you can go and connect at a local level but uh, we're looking at some different things that we can do some maybe some game uh, game nights one of the things that I've wanted to do and, and I'm really praying into and, and how to go about doing it, there's uh, several churches in this area do uh, Blessing of the Bikers, Blessing of the Bikes, where uh, all the uh, bikers in the area can go and they have a uh, church service and get their motorcycles blessed uh, for the start mm-hmm. of the riding season. Grant, it's not like you where you live down south where people can ride their motorcycles whenever up here, uh, <laughs> you know. In Michigan, actually we still have snow on the ground today. So
2: Yeah, we had some here in Illinois. It's not sticking, but it was falling.
1: We got a good six inches of snow yesterday, and we're due to get more tonight. So, yeah. Run. It was a cold that day one. today.
0: It dropped below 70. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no.
1: Oh, my god. <laughs> <pover>. Oh, no. <laughs> so,
3: anyway, I, I kind of wanted to do a, a riff on that and do uh, Blessing of the Dice. So, I'm, I'm really kind of looking at that and how to maybe implement that and do something along those lines. So.
1: Hmm. Yeah, wasn't there um, an Anglican, not Anglican, Episcopalian... Uh pastor who was doing that at, I want to say, a Gen Con last year?
3: Maybe. Probably. Maybe. I know yeah. uh, a friend of the show, Derek White, did a, I believe, did a blessing of the dice at uh, Gary Con uh, this year. Mm. Um, I believe I saw him mention online that he had did that. So I'm probably going to reach out to him and get some of his ideas, so...
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, actually, Jenny, I think there was because there were pictures of him standing there in like his full like clerical collar and everything with the sign yeah. and yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and I looked him up later. Uh, apparently he's closer to high Anglican, I think, just judging from like the decor in his church.
2: Yeah. yeah. I remember but yeah,
1: that. Yeah. So, so that's interesting because I know that there are a lot of like the Anglican Church has so many blessings of things and it honestly would not surprise me if there had already been like an official blessing of the dice prayer written. <laughs>
2: <laughs> one of the joys of having Jenny on is neither of us are, you know, at all Anglican. And we learn a lot of fascinating things about her denomination, having her because she's a lifelong one. She hasn't yeah. switched denominations like I have or been in a different denomination her whole no, life. Like I did Grant actually has. consider
1: it for a short time, but uh, no, I, I came back to the Anglican church pretty hard after trying to understand a free form service. And I was just like, "But, but when's the confession? When when do we do this and when do we do this and it just didn't make any sense without the structure. So uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> the person who's studying library science likes structure. Hmm.
1: La- library technology.
2: Library technology. I'll get it right one of these episodes. <laughs> someday. Someday. <laughs> the, the library person. Yeah. Who does library things <laughs> and likes
1: organizing things for fun and that like already
2: structure. started tagging some of our blog posts which I really appreciate by the way so eh, no
1: problem it's <laughs> it's fun it's it's a fun little project for me to do I'm having fun with it.
2: I, I'm glad you find it so I, yeah. it's I just, truly it's just, am
1: it's satisfying it's like it's like those videos of people like cutting foam blocks with hot knives and stuff.
3: It's just really <laughs> satisfying. You know I, I just saw an article online Um, you're talking organization here, it was a study that said highly intelligent people like a mess. I've tried convincing my wife that I'm highly intelligent and she's just not
0: bothered.
1: I actually use the excuse of I don't like to mix my work life and my home life, so my home is just a terrible disaster. And
0: (laughs) there we go. (laughs) That's reasonable. Well, Grant, you've got some gaming news, don't you? Uh, Just a little bit. I've talked before about my fellowship game. We had a session of that last night, uh, which was more of a the GM having a frank discussion about how he wasn't enjoying it anymore and the rest of us agreeing with him. Hmm. So we have shut that down. It's a bummer. But also remember, this was this was the GM's first attempt to GM anything. Oh, boy. Yeah.
2: Okay. It lasted
0: several months. We had wonderful character moments that we are all extremely fond of, like, hey, guys, you know how we can defend this city from the invading army? Let's burn it down ourselves so that we all agree we have nothing to fall back on. <laughs> and we convinced the whole population that that was an awesome, ballsy idea. Oh, wow. That's we did this suffered. in a bar. Isn't that where
3: every every idea like that starts?
0: <laughs> exactly. That was actually the whole point. Because we were all very drunk and all the halflings were drunk and they were like, This sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) The invading army was like, what are you? In fairness, also the invading army was led by Jadis the Ice Queen. So, you know, fire. Big old torch to throw in her face. Yeah. Uh, It makes sense. We had cool (laughs) moments like that. And none of us were at all disappointed with the game, which I think is very telling. But it had gotten unmanageable because Fellowship is designed for a maximum of five players. And we were doing seven plus a GM. Oh, boy. Okay. A brand new GM, too. Yeah, and it has some structural problems as well. Also, our group doesn't do epic campaigns with having an epic campaign in mind.
2: Yeah, you do them as having a two-session prequel to the epic campaign in mind.
0: Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, our epic campaigns are lots of small moments that add up to a long story that goes some very remarkable places. But when we looked at a game and said, let's try and make this a big, epic, Tolkien-esque adventure, that's where we started struggling. Because all the moments we Mm -hmm. enjoyed were the small character moments, and all the big stuff was just boring and felt disconnected from everything we wanted to do.
2: Mm. That and almost this, just sounds like good general advice, because a, a lot of the stuff that's been the best in our and d game has been those little character moments and stuff. Well, I think it would work for some people,
0: right? And if Probably. we had a smaller a smaller group, it would be fine. But the GM was, like, getting physically ill thinking about the game oh, and gosh. prepping for it. Wow. And had had some rough times anyway. We were just like, no, we've done enough. It was really good. We can stop it here. <laughs> we're all very happy with this. We love those moments, but we're not going to miss it. Yeah.
1: It was fun, but now it's done.
2: Also, brand new GM. You should be proud that you did that well. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: To be clear, by the way, for those of you who don't listen or haven't heard our backlog, when I say we take games and stretch them out, this group that I was doing fellowship with, we wanted to do a six-week prequel for a vampire game, so the GM did a mage game. It was going to go you know, six weeks, maybe three months, You know, if, if things really got stretched out. Two and a half years later, we wrapped up that game- Oh. And that group started the vampire game, which was supposed to go, you know, a year and is six years in and going. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's a how two we- two and do. a
2: half year prequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that that mage game was
0: excellent and you talk about it to this day. Yeah. Yeah. There are parts of that mage game I still haven't talked about, like when we did a musical cabaret. Uh, you can't just drop that on us. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm <laughs> gonna.
2: <laughs> save Sounds it for like a future music
0: topic Yeah, no, I've been wanting to save that for talking about music at some mm. point But anyway, I do think ending a campaign early and ending it well might be a topic to come back to mm-hmm. So I don't want to get too into everything, but we've ended that We're going to be doing some other stuff Someone else is GMing for the first time, which is exciting oh, Nice. Uh, and she is running Headspace, which looks really interesting Never even heard of that one. What's the premise I, there? I've
1: heard the title
0: Here's the premise It's a cyberpunk game, Okay. Imagine Shadowrun, but where you are mentally connected to everyone else.
1: That's right. I have heard of this, and I've been wanting to check it out.
0: And here's the cool part about that. Your skills always succeed. When you need to do something that you do not have a skill in, if someone else has that skill, you can use it. But the emotional baggage tied to that skill comes with the knowledge of that skill. Oh. Oh, boy. It's very psychological. People have run headspace campaigns where the characters were not even physically in the same city as any other character. Wow. And doing like a Shadowrun style mission literally all over the world all at once. But because the characters are mentally connected in this way, it doesn't really matter where the characters are because they all exist in each other's heads without any emotional or mental defenses whatsoever.
1: Grant, have you ever watched Sensate?
0: I have heard it is very close to Sensate. I have not watched it.
1: I would recommend watching a little bit of Sensate, specifically the f- just parts of the first season because what you're talking about with like heists and people being in each other's heads, that gets explored a lot in that show.
0: Yeah, no. I think Sensei was probably <laughs> somewhat involved in this game's creation. Uh, yeah, <laughs> by the sound of it, or at least both of them were drawing from the same inspirations. Yeah. So anyway, I'm excited about that. The other thing we are we have decided to do is um, do some round robin GMing, and also specifically say we don't care how far we get in the game. After X sessions, we're stopping. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Well, we all have all stuff right. we want to try and run. Now, the other cool yeah. part is that Chrissy may end up running a couple of games. Ooh. All right. And she's been wanting to for a while, hasn't she? Yes, she has. And so she's looking at a couple of things that she might want to run. She's been wanting to run World of Darkness Innocence for a long time since oh, she played I it at Fear love of the Con Innocence. 5.
1: I was in that game with her. It, it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's one of the few um, World of Darkness books I have on my shelf. I just Monster House the game just seems amazing to me. So Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think this is a good thing, and we ended, again, I don't want to get into this more than we already have, but we ended this game in a very positive way that I think set us up very well for future success, which is why I want to talk about it in its own episode later. Yeah. Jenny?
1: Yeah. So, the Moida mystery got solved, and we unmurdered the guy, because apparently getting turned to stone is not exactly a death sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why, that's uh,
0: barely Moida at all. (laughs)
1: Barely Moida at all. Yeah, so we found the, the lady who was breeding cockatrices and basilisks and all sorts of terrible monsters. We found out that the local, um, castellan had hired her to breed him a basilisk so that he could upend all sorts of, uh, hierarchies and so that he could get land that he felt was rightfully his and, uh, we arrested that man and locked him away, and uh, had a, a a rollicking good time. And this coming Monday, we should be continuing with the same characters, which I was actually not expecting, because this game was sort of a prequel to Keep on the Borderlands, which is a, a very old, well known. I think it's second edition module. Yeah. I think that's
0: one of the first first edition modules.
1: Okay, we we've got we've got. So many old DD books in this house. It's just there, there's a lot hard to keep track of. But yeah, so we were gonna t- sort of make this into a generational game in a way, and we were going to then take these characters and then basically transfer a bunch of stats to other characters that were that we were gonna say were these characters' descendants, and then play keep on the borderlands. Because this was sort of set when the keep is being built. And the Castellan was in charge of making sure the keep got built on time and on schedule. But then nefarious things happened and and there were certain legal consequences. And uh yeah, so we'll we'll be keeping on continuing with these same characters, uh, in another thing that Mum has planned, and it's very exciting.
2: Wow. Cool pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Our D D game hasn't happened for a while. Mm. And then um I guess I'll go ahead and talk this up a little bit. I'm in the process of starting the first game with the setting that I've been designing with Grant, Jenny, Chrissy, and our intentionally anonymous player from Grant and I's gaming group. We're going to probably be doing that at some point in the not too distant future. We're starting to swat character ideas around, so there may be some more gaming news coming in future
0: episodes. Nice. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, starting the process of making characters. Yep. yep.
3: So you said that's a setting a setting that you guys have uh, worked on together? No. No, no it's no, the I've okay. been
2: uh, writing about in the blog. Okay. Uh, we'll put a link to the, uh, the series of setting design posts in the show notes. I am, as of this recording, up to 16 parts of it. I think it'll be 17, unless I have something else to blog about this next Tuesday. That's quite a series. By the time this episode drops. Yeah, and I'm still
0: very much going at it.
2: Should we move on to our Patreon question here? or Do we have any other news that we want to cover?
0: No let's uh, let's move on. We've talked about various other things and I do want to let Tim get a word in edgewise. Yeah yeah, yeah. that would probably be good.
2: <laughs> no problem.
0: Uh, we're gonna go ahead and roll on our table of patreon backer questions that patrons send in to us. Here we go. Okay, so this is from Composer Dad. Something I like about church communities is that they encourage unlikely connections between people that may not normally interact. There's this common interest outside of the usual career slash kids slash sports connection. So artists end up being friends with taxi drivers, truck drivers with soccer moms, etc. Do you see a similarity with RPG communities, these kinds of surprising connections? Okay, it's a good question. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is a good question. TLDR, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to
1: say yes and no here. Continue.
0: Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and get into that?
1: How about you guys go, because it's going to take me a while to verbalize this properly.
0: No, that's fair. You know, I'm going to change my answer slightly as well, because I think yes and no is probably correct. Healthy RPG communities, I think, do have that. And this is also true of churches, I think. When you have a community that isn't diverse, it can quickly become unhealthy. I don't want to use toxic, but... I think it can become so limited in focus that it stops looking at the larger picture and loses its real sense of purpose. This is one reason that, for example, you know we are all very fond of the Fear the Boot community because there were a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds who all liked RPGs but were not all 3.5 D&D players. There was a massive variety of RPGs and lots of perspectives that they brought to it. And I think a healthy church functions the same way. Lots of different people bringing lots of perspectives, but all in service of something greater, namely being part of the body of Christ, where you start getting churches that focus very heavily on externalities or demanding uniformity. I'm going to hearken back here to our conversation with Ed Healy, unity versus uniformity. Yeah, I think where you start getting a church or any community that demands that everything be exactly the same based on some subset of people's preferences or ideals of what the right sort is, I think it starts to get very sick. And that's true of RPG communities. There are spaces for people who specialize in things, but building an entire community out of that can be problematic.
1: Yeah. My yes and no is sort of similar to that. The, I think for me, the main difference is that within RPG communities, we don't talk about the outside interests very much because we are usually there to talk about RPGs or board games or closely related things. But when I go to a church community, we talk about all sorts of other things. So while yes, you are definitely in both communities interacting with taxi drivers, artists, artists, soccer moms, truck drivers. I find that I talk about my non-RPG-ness less within RPG communities than I do at church, where there is a lot more crossover in in my conversations with people about my various outside interests. And that's just based on my personal experience.
0: Do you think maybe that's the result of kind of the hyper-specialization of different conversation spaces, especially on the internet. Like, this is a Facebook group for the discussion of role-playing games and nothing else.
1: I think it is partly that, because I also don't really have that much of a role-playing game community in my area, like in real life. And if I were talking with more people in real life around the subject of RPGs, I likely would stray off that. But when I go to conventions, I'm there for like two, three days, and I am there to game. And yeah, I might talk about my outside life a little, but I am there for the purpose of gaming. Um, and it is that hyper-specialization of subjects.
3: I think maybe um, you guys are hinting at where I come down, because I do think that it does have to do with, with the gaming community, that hyper-specialization, um, and, and how typically, for example, you're getting together with fellow gamers for what purpose? Well, to game, you know? And so... It's Saturday night, that's your campaign, that's your gaming session. So the conversation, I think, by and large, is going to be focused around that. And also, again, online, where do those conversations happen? Well, Facebook groups, whether you're in a OSR Facebook group and having conversations there or 5th edition or, you know, whatever. You know, So the, the whole purpose with that is specifically for gaming. Now, the, the game store that I had mentioned that was, used to be in our town was a great little store called Game Nights. And Friday night, now this was uh, during the dreaded fourth edition period of D&D, which is actually when I came back into playing D&D after a hiatus for a few years. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, and, and, and there were some things I loved about fourth edition, and there were some things that I particularly didn't care for. But the one thing it did do at that time, my wife and I, our kids were teens, so they were finally just getting to that age where they had, we had some freedom, and so we actually found ourselves going to this game store on Friday nights to game. And there was a group; they would have open gaming. Whoever wanted to come and play in this fourth edition gaming session slash campaign was welcome. And uh, that's actually, it was through there. That my wife and I made the connection with who her and I would say are some of our best friends right now, I kind of almost say to answer his question, "Yes, actually, I do think that in some ways it can serve the same, not the same function, but a similar function because it 's about community, right? It can be about community and at least from my perspective and and this is how i how I view it as a Christian gaming is I see that as an opportunity to bridge and build relationships with people who maybe the common interest isn't Christianity, right? But there is a common interest, and you're able to bridge that gap and, and find some commonalities in other areas. And mm-hmm. um, this this couple, they do not attend church. They're not involved in church, but they are certainly our best friends. One of our best, you know, best friends they continue to be in our gaming group, though that's been kind of on a hiatus due to some health situations with this friend of ours, her mother, and uh, my wife had some surgery. So, but you know, just thinking back to that game store, it became almost like a community, and it was an opportunity to to share life with people on a Friday night over this common goal of of gaming. And you know, we just really, um, as we sat around playing and and for those of you who did play fourth edition, you'll remember a round of combat could take an hour and a half, so you, an hour, you know, once you got up at a higher level. So there was time for actually conversation while people were taking their turns and, and uh, just building relationships. So it's certainly it's not the same as church, because at church, you know, what's our, our focus? Church is about coming around together, goal of worshiping Christ deepening our faith, supporting one another. You know, iron sharpens iron. You know, the the Scripture tells us to uh, not forsake the assembling together, as is the habit of some. And and the goal is for us to come together and and encourage one another, right? That's why we should be coming together as as a church family. But I I do think there's some similarities. And uh, I, I really, I'm kind of passionate about gaming be in that avenue to build relationships with people that maybe that's your commonality. And then you learn about life with one another and build relationships that are lifelong. And uh, without gaming, this couple would not be our friends to this day. And uh, they are certainly cherished and treasured friends. And um, I, I think fourth edition D&D for that. So if there's any positive that came from fourth edition D&D, <laughs> it's this friendship that my wife and I have with this couple. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I also feel I should state, like I'm not saying that like my individual RPG groups that I've been in have not been incredibly diverse, because they have. It's just mm-hmm. like, when talking about a larger community, like a gaming store, or like some sort of gathering spot for gamers, I personally have less of the experience of talking about the outside interests.
2: So I, it's going to be hard to say anything that you guys haven't already, but (laughs) the one thing that I think bears some emphasizing is a lot of the time, like you guys were talking about the hyper-specialization of internet communities earlier on, right? You know, we come here to talk about gaming. That stays true up to a point until you actually start becoming friends with some of those people. Correct. Like, um, you know, Grant, Jenny, and I all know each other through the Fear the Boot community. And the forums there have some fairly strict rules about what you can't talk about, specifically politics and religion. Well, when everybody kind of moved off of the forums there and onto Facebook, we were all kind of already friends with each other. And what did we want to talk about? What we weren't able to talk about. And that led to finding out we had made friends with people that were totally different from us and being like, hey, this is kind of valuable. You know, it's like. I don't know that if we had led with some of these points of difference that we would have ever given each other the time of day, but we have years of talking about this shared interest and, you know, learning what this person's personality is like and learning what this person's essence is. You know, it's like I might not agree with this person's views about, you know, the nature of, you know, politics or religion, but I know that this is a kind person or a thoughtful person or a trustworthy person even. And so that can kind of having that basis of built up this friendship around a common interest can kind of function as a bridge across some of the the more turbulent waters of controversial topics and stuff and let you engage with people that um maybe you wouldn't have the courage to do before. I mean, the the right. one example that I'm kind of inclined to use is um, the editor for the Sojourn anthologies that I was in, Norse Pagan. Uh, she has very different religious beliefs from me. She's a very different person from me in a lot of ways. I really value my friendship with her. I think she's a fantastic person. I've learned a lot of stuff from her. I've come to appreciate a lot of things that I would have never even been exposed to because of her influence in my life. I think knowing her and her husband and um, her husband's brother kind of by extension through social media has been incredibly valuable to me. And I would have never met any of those people if it hadn't been for the shared interest in gaming, kind of like you and your friends, Tim. So I, I think right. yeah. it can just wind up being a surface thing. And I think if you're part of like a large community, like that massive 5e group on Facebook that I think we're all part of, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few posters in there that I'm starting to recognize, but there's 100,000 plus people in that group.
3: Right. I don't know all right. of
2: those people, <laughs> but I know the people from Fear the Boot.
3: I remember when it was like a
2: 1,000. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't in that early. I think I came in around 87,000 or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's your uh, there's your incredibly involved answer, Composer Dad. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a good question. Yeah. Did you have something else you wanted to toss in, Tim?
3: Well, no, I just, I was thinking about what uh, Grant was saying. I believe it was Grant about the, um, how there can be some dysfunction in church and in, in gaming community. A couple of days ago for, for work, I had to be up in the, uh, town called Saginaw, and there, I just happened to be going by a store. It's a gaming store. I had never heard of it. I thought, well, I'm going to stop in and talk to, the, you know, stop in and see what it's about. And it's kind of an interesting store because they sell a lot of uh, Xbox and PS4, and they had even, like, original NES games, And but then yeah. they also had a huge board game section and then they had a, uh, a pretty good-sized RPG section. Of course, 5th edition was kind of the uh, the feature there. But, you know, talking to the guy, we were talking about the, the move from, like, 3rd edition, 3.5, to 4th, and then into 5th. And we were kind of having this conversation along those lines. You know, he says, you know, what's interesting about the gaming community, he said, we're kind of excluded from the rest of culture sometimes, right? He says, we're kind of the subculture people look down on us, um, we're not accepted. And he said, so you would think that we could be the most accepting group of people, right? And he says, but he says, sometimes I found it's almost the opposite. He said, there's so much sometimes gatekeeping, like, hey, oh, I'm, I'm a 3.5 or I'm a Pathfinder player. And I was thinking about that and how um, I think we as the gaming community need to really kind of measure ourselves with that and make sure, hey, are we being inclusive, are we being accepting? And and he talked about that a lot, about inclusivity and how he he was the manager for the store and how he supports, like, everything. He had Pathfinder stuff, he had other RPGs, and and he was very passionate about it. And and actually, when I was leaving there um, after this conversation, I thought, what he's describing is what the church should be. The church should be an inclusive, loving community that certainly we have the Word of God. There are certain things in the Word of God that bring us together, right? But the, as a church, as as the capital C church, we should function in the way He was talking about. How we set aside those those differences. How you know the Methodist Church? I know baptism is you get sprinkled with water. The denomination I'm a part of, you, you, it's full immersion. Does that matter? No. That's that's just kind of a small thing. You know, we come together around the the common core of believing that Christ is our Savior and that He's died to give us new life. We're past Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection, which talks about us being resurrected with Christ into a new life. So I just, when He was talking about that, I just really it resonated with me as a Christian. I I thought that's the passion that we, as a church, should have too. So. I guess that's kind of my little mini sermon, I guess. So I, I apologize for about going, going on a tangent there, but I just, granted, mentioned that, and I started thinking about this conversation I had with this, uh, this store manager here at this game store and how passionate he was about being inclusive and bringing people together in community. And I thought, well, that's what the church needs to do. That's what yeah. the church should be.
2: Yeah,
1: You could almost say that the church needs to be supportive. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. A oh, that was an aggressive segue, Johnny. I do want to throw one other thing there um, that Tim has said because I've had this thought for a while, but it never really came up on the um, the podcast. I think all the different denominations that the church has split into over the years can be kind of like all the different editions of whatever your favorite RPG is. You can look at it as those people playing that other edition are bad, and they shouldn't, you know, be doing that. Or you can look at it and say, hey, because this other edition exists more people are playing games overall. That's yes. amazing.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Yep. I was very much the former when I was younger. And now it's like, you know, I, I look around and I see like Lutherans and Baptists and Catholics and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's really fantastic that they all exist. Cause there's people that probably wouldn't feel comfortable in my Methodist church that are still
0: going. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Composer Dan, thank you for an excellent question. Really appreciate it. Obviously we had a, a lot to say on that one. <laughs> yeah. That was a hard discussion <laughs> about the Patreon question this time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the good news is we have a topic that should be relatively quick, I think. So let's go ahead and get to it. But first, if you want to get your own question in, just support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. Check that out. Let's go through our scripture here and then get into our topic, which, as Jenny so punnily suggested, is (laughs) about support characters. So who wants to take this bit of Exodus? I will.
3: So Exodus 17, 8 through 13. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword.
1: Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased.
2: This is Luke 10, 36 to 37. These are the last two verses of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him.
0: Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So our topic tonight is support characters, clerics, and such like. And this one is a topic that uh, we probably could have started in on at any point in our recording history here, because uh, this is one of those complaints that we have heard for a very long time, ever since we started playing, I think. And we wanted to go ahead and address it here because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm real tired of hearing it. Actually, Cleric is my favorite class, so let's get into this. <laughs> yeah. So, Peter, you and I saw, and I th- probably all of us saw, a thread in a particular Facebook group dedicated to D&D 5th edition. I believe it was. Was it the actually fifth this it,
2: This was um, in just kind of a general smaller oh, okay. community?
0: I was thinking of a different one. Yeah, okay. The
2: owner kind of posted. I've seen a lot of complaints about playing support classes and stuff. I would love to hear anybody's
0: thoughts about this. Yeah. And let's be clear. Everybody knows the trope. Nobody wants to play the cleric. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's even worked its way into Overwatch
0: for heaven's sake. It really has. And we're going to be talking about Overwatch a lot, probably, and other games with uh, teams and support roles and things like that. But certainly the, I don't want to play the cleric, nobody wants to play the cleric, can we just have an NPC cleric and healer (laughs) so that nobody has to do anything boring? (laughs) I think we've all heard that complaint. Right. Peter, I think you wanted to go off. The uh, the very first actual tabletop
2: D&D character that I ever played, I'd played some GURPS before, but the first time I sat down to play d and I played a Cleric. And over the years, I have played Clerics more than probably any three other... Actually, probably more than all other 11 classes put together. I have played a lot of Clerics. I like the class quite a bit. And I think one of the big problems is, a lot of the time, people sit down and... They want to play somebody who is edgy and tough and too cool for school, and that doesn't work as a cleric, or at least not in my opinion. I I think that the- Oh, you've actually
1: given me a very good idea, though,
2: Peter. (laughs) Uh I I think the, um, the, the key to really kind of- enjoying the role is to kind of embrace it in a way and play somebody who actually cares. Because you are loaded up with all of these ways to help people. So the absolute worst case scenario is that you function as an amplifier and a suit of armor for everybody else. That that first cleric player character that I ever played in D&D, there was a time when we introduced a new character into the game, and because of the way that this particular game worked, you always came in at first level. So... The D&D had this um, first level character in. he'd he'd come in as an NPC and he'd given him some XP and then he would leveled up once kind of out of the game. So he was level two and my eighth level cleric was able to buff him up to the point where he could keep up with the rest of the party who was also like six to eighth level that I had to is another topic, but. It was pretty cool to be able to do that. The thing that's made things the most, and we're going to get into this when we talk about kind of the GMing side of this, is that if all you're ever doing is fighting stuff, it will get stale, just putting people's hit points back on and casting buff spells and stuff. So the trick is to either get a GM like Grant, who's going to do this automatically because it's a good story, or ask the GM to give you opportunities to do other things because... The cleric player or character that I have now, Lambert, is a person who can just walk up and push the stop button on somebody suffering. You get all of these healing spells and stuff so you can stop bleeding and poison and disease and, you know, you can like take curses off of people and all of this other stuff. One of one of the more emotionally affecting moments that I had in the game was a few sessions back we walked into this fort. The, the colony started out with two different ships. One had that we'd been on had landed on a relatively nice island and things were going pretty well. The other one had wound up in this desperate kind of perpetual siege situation. People were starving. I was able to walk in there and feed like 60 people. I blew through my third level spells for the day, but I fed 60 people who were starving. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was actually <laughs> – I, I, get a little bit choked up telling the story or like writing the post about it. Cause it's like, you can just imagine this, this horrible desperate situation and just walking in and be like, Nope, you all eat today. Yeah, that's cool. The other thing that I mentioned in the post, one of the things that makes it so rewarding to play a, a, a healer or a, a cleric or another, one of these types of support characters that actually cares is that your abilities feed directly into your priorities and vice versa. So, I think as adults, we've all had that horrible experience of watching somebody that we, you know, we care about get hurt or visiting somebody who's really sick in the hospital and just getting that awful sick feeling where you wish you could do something, but you can't. The power fantasy of a cleric or another healer type is you can do something in that situation. You can do something meaningful. You can give that person their life back. That is amazing. And this concludes my rant about why clerics are good, but it's just, it's it's one of those things where it's like, why is this scene is boring? I mean, in our last episode, okay, I guess the rant isn't quite over. Um, In our last episode, we were talking about saints and it's like healing miracles are one of the most common things
0: that qualifies people for sainthood. Why is this looked at as this dull pedestrian thing? So I think it's a couple of things. Uh, First, in purely tactical dungeon crawl games, you don't have those opportunities. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and that's fair. So don't play a purely tactical dungeon well, crawl. Well, no.
0: If the if your sole interaction is making sure other people have cool moments, at least as far as you perceive it, you may run into issues where that eventually starts to feel like you're never getting spotlight time. Yeah, you start to feel kind of left out. Right. And and I think that's part of it. I think it is a, a combination of uh, people who play a cleric or other support character not knowing how to give that character spotlight time and GMs not knowing how to create that spotlight time for them. Yeah, But also it's, I think, a stereotype of the character archetype not being interesting or important.
1: I think that's part of it. I also know that there is a huge amount of resentment both in video games and in- Uh, RPGs, uh, the the healers become resentful because they're seen as you know the animated rolling cart of healing potions. The the fighter (laughs)
0: looks
1: at a dragon, (laughs) says the healer will heal me, and charges full full on like Leroy Jenkins. and and the healer is reduced in in the party's eyes so frequently to this animated card of healing potions like in in Overwatch you you see the Genji rush in saying, but the Mercy will heal me when the Mercy's halfway across the map, and then gets angry at the Mercy for not healing him when she's halfway across the map from him. So- <laughs> she's
0: like, my move speed is a fraction of yours. Well, yeah. the other thing is, and this is true in like League of Legends and plenty of other games as well, Genji is a character who has to dive in on top of people Mercy is a short range healer, basically, and has a movement ability that will let them sort of keep up. I'm going to take this fragile healer archetype and dive in and hope she follows me into six, you know, a crowd of six people when there's no other support. And it's like, if she does, you've gotten both of you killed and you're going to blame the healer for dying. Mm hmm. And if the healer stays back, you're going to blame the healer for not following you in. Yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. not your fault, clearly. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, I think, one re- probably one reason people don't like playing healer archetypes and support characters is because if you have been reduced to a heal bot, you're just getting blamed when you cannot provide sufficient healing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, one way around that, of course, is making your support character do more than interact Only with the other members of the party. And I think this is something that clerics in particular have done for a very long time, but it's been largely ignored. And you see this again in like Overwatch and League of Legends, which are the two esports kind of stuff that I, I follow pretty closely, but in plenty of other team based games. My favorite healer character in Overwatch, for example, is Zenyatta, who has a healing ability. He's got one basic ability that heals somebody over time. Great. He's got another one that makes enemies take more damage. Okay, so now we're helping other people. We're supporting by making other people have cool moments, but also you're doing it not by interacting with your team, but by interacting with the enemy team. You're debuffing instead of just buffing. Also, Zenyatta can do a surprising amount of damage. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. hold down that right click, charge up and let fly a, a volley of orbs right at somebody's head. In professional Overwatch play, there are a lot of Zenyattas who get kills because they just kind of go and right click. I just sniped someone. Zenyatta's ultimate is one of the most powerful ultimates in the game in that he becomes invincible and provides massive AOE healing to all of his team, basically creating a zone of nothing dies around me which feels really good. There's a reason in professional Overwatch play, support ultimates are the most important, and DPS ultimates are among the least important, which I think is telling because that means it's a well-designed game where playing supports is fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. League of Legends, I know, had a very long period of time early in its history where nobody wanted to play support. And at low levels, nobody really wants to play support because they want to be the guy with the high kill score and looking awesome. And don't get me wrong, that's a fun power fantasy but skilled support play is so highly valued that at higher uh, higher levels of play, supports are highly sought after and people want to play support because they recognize how much power that has. Plus, Riot's done a good job of creating interesting and interactive supports who support in lots of interesting ways and have lots of interesting playstyles. One of their most recent supports has basically an assassin playstyle. They dive in, do assassiny movements and dashing around and that sort of thing and then come back. But it's like knockups and healing when you come back and things like that, rather than hop in, do a bunch of damage and get out. My
2: favorite character to play in Overwatch is Arisa because she gets that shield that she can drop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of the time, I mean, I'm I'm not all that lethal of an Overwatch player, but boy, howdy, can I help keep the rest of my team alive? You know, (laughs) it's like that that shield is amazing. It's a similar
1: thing with, with Zarya for me because I, I'm a Zarya main, pretty heavy Zarya main. And one of my favorite things is getting that lifesaver play of the game where at the last second I deploy a shield on somebody and I'm like, not today, not right <laughs> yeah. now.
3: Well, I guess kind of the, th- the thought I'm having right now as we're, we're talking is I think part of the issue with the support character is, is a narrative issue, right? And yes. this is, I guess, kind of moving towards the kind of the GMing side a little bit. Part of it is, for example, and I, I've been thinking about the the setting of Ravenloft, um, which is probably one of my favorite, you know, the gothic horror with Count Strahd. And in a setting like that, right, it, the cleric is not going to take a back seat to anybody. Oh um, no, <laughs> you know, not at all. And. That So I, I, I think part of it, too, is it's a narrative issue, and it's a um, kind of an adventure design issue for the GM or a session design issue for the GM, where it's very important that the dungeon master, the game master, whatever system you're playing, kind of thinks about the party as a whole. And I would do this when I had time. I typically run kind of preset adventures now just because I don't have time, but when I would have some time to design my adventures I'd think of the group as a whole and I would try to find things and put things in place with each character that they could shine. And to me there's there's one of the greatest moments is when the cleric actually brings the party back from the very edge of death. You know, everybody's down. You know, the dragon's gonna breathe fire, and destroy them all. And the cleric is able to turn the tide of the battle. You know, the same thing in like a gothic core, you know, turn on dead. That was always, you know, as, as a teen, I loved playing. Uh, we ran through that uh, I-9 Ravenloft adventure several times, and I love playing a cleric because there's nothing nothing more fun to me than turning on dead. So I think a lot of it has to do with, with just the n- narrative that's presented and developed in the game session.
1: Yeah. I'm also wondering if a lot of it couldn't also be helped with a detailed backstory and personality that you can role play with. It is a lot harder to see the cleric as the animated cart of healing potions if that animated cart of healing potions had a really great discussion with you around the campfire last night. So if you allow for your players to have those good role play moments... Uh-huh. And if your characters want to do those great roleplay moments, latch on to that because it is going to make your cleric a lot harder to not, not ignore, but like, well, well, yeah, ignore. It's going to make their personality hard to ignore and it's going to uh, humanize them a fair Yeah, I amount.
2: think one of the things that makes Lambert so rewarding to play is that he's kind of got to be the moral compass of this group. Because he's neutral good, and the other two characters are chaotic neutral and will just kind of look out for their own <laughs> self-interest without him around. But because yeah. the three of them have been together for so long, they've they've built up these bonds of trust and friendship, and they care about each other, and they look out for each other. And that kind of stops Lambert from being seen as a bag of hit points by the other two PCs. Some of it is we have some good group members, and there's no substitute for that. But the difference in backstory and actual personalities for the characters is amazing. And yes, standing the two of them up when they both got knocked down to zero hit points by a banshee did feel pretty awesome, even if we were terrified (laughs) at the time. (laughs) right,
0: Right. One thing our group does fairly well, simply because it's a small group, we sometimes have some people helping more with procedural progress, developing the story procedurally, you know, making things happen while other people are contributing dramatically. And as a result, even though maybe it's some one person's turned to shine mechanically, the dramatic interest is on someone else. Yeah, that's a great opportunity for uh, your support character who maybe isn't the one heaving the giant stone out of the way and doing cool things in the dungeon crawl or whatever. They can contribute at a more dramatic level. Fair warning, I have not seen much of Firefly and didn't particularly like most of what I watched but what's the the Reverend uh, Shepherd Shepherd book Shepherd book yeah yeah Shepherd book from what I've seen like you know he's got some moments where he gets to shine procedurally but he's always the guy everybody comes to to sort of bounce dramatic conversations off of and build character off of and that's a great role for a support character because he's important without being the guy flying the ship in cool ways or being the guy firing the guns mhm yeah
1: I feel it's also important to note that this dramatic mover, as it were, doesn't necessarily have to be the healer all the time and instead can be somewhat like the face in in Shadowrun or can be uh, a bard. Yeah. And I think saddling the cleric with the narrative side of things could be a little overwhelming for them. A lot of the time. I mean, depending on the player, obviously, but like, yeah. yeah.
0: No, you're, you're right. One thing that has worked out in our group is making uh, <laughs> just because again, by virtue of the fact we have a small number of characters, but Peter, your cleric is also probably the character with the most knowledge skills in our group. Oh, yeah. Not the highest intelligence, but the no. most knowledge <laughs> skills, which means you're the guy that we go to for a lot of Knowledge about the world, especially since you've got knowledge nature in an exploration game and knowledge religion when we're dealing with ghosts and demons and other fun things.
2: Yeah. And also he's got the survival skill, which is unique among the party because he came from a nature oriented monastic order. So he. Right. A lot of the stuff that's made him important is like, hey, that plant's edible and that one will disinfect wounds. You know, it's like <laughs> it's it's not I can crush you with my hammer. He's moderately good at that. But allowing civilization to actually exist, that's what he's really good at.
3: Sure. Sure. And that's where, that's too where from the Game Master side of things, kind of going back to my point, you know, what Peter was just talking about, and and, well, Grant, you brought it up about his skill set, right? And that's why it's important you you look at the skill set, because you're able then to develop some opportunities for Peter's character to shine by driving the narrative to a point where the party has to rely on him, you know, in certain instances. I, I think that's why... Whenever I would run a game session, I would always try to do something where everybody is included, where everybody's going to have an opportunity for their character to shine, and um, I, I really think that that's kind of a key for... The gaming community to move beyond this uh, cliche of the cleric is just kind of uh, as uh, I love how Jenny described it. You know this this card of uh, <laughs> this card of <laughs> healing potions going down the aisle. You know, as, as the <laughs> fighter needs them because he's just ran into the breath weapon of the dragon. You know, and, and burnt to a crisp. But that's really a key is is trying to do things that drive that narrative and draw draw the support characters in into the spotlight from time to time. My wife, back uh, when we were playing 4th edition, in 5th, I haven't delved into the Cleric that much to really know if this is still the case in 5th. But in 4th edition, they had the Pacifist Cleric. And that thing did just massive amounts of healing. I mean, it was just phenomenal. Sounds kind of boring, right? But it's actually really cool and kind of puts that person in the spotlight because... Here they are in combat, refusing to enter into combat, because they're going to be back there supporting and buffering, you know, their friends against the foe, and so in a way, it it seems counterintuitive, but in a way, that actually would put my wife's character, that pacifist cleric, in the spotlight, because she was doing things opposite of what everyone else was, and, and attention was drawn to her,
2: so... Well, you're basically playing Desmond Doss at that point—that that, that yes. guy who went yes. into yes. World War II without a rifle and saved right. all those people. Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you there. No. But like
3: <laughs> no. No. And
2: and Desmond Doss—that that's a
3: perfect example um, of really what the pacifist cleric was like. And and so I just think a lot of it really has to do with you know somebody brought up in this conversation the dungeon crawl. And if that's really, and there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, if that's how, and there's times where where we get together and we just want to do a dungeon crawl. You know, we'll do a one-shot, and you're just crawling through the dungeon and, you know, fighting monsters. Yeah,
2: and those are fun, just not to the mm -hmm, exclusion of everything else.
3: Absolutely fun, but that's not an opportunity to make the cleric shine other than relegating it to, uh, like Jenny said, you know, the carrier of the healing potions. But in a campaign setting... You know, if, if uh, the game master is good at what he does, and it sounds like Grant is. I loved when I, when I read this, uh, this example that, of what Peter had shared. I just thought, well, that's, Grant is truly a, a, a good game master because he provided opportunity. So the story of feeding 60-some people, bringing them from the brink of starvation, that's a great story. That's something that you're going to tell for years to come. That's something that your characters in, in game will talk about from time to time and remember. So that was an opportunity that was developed to actually allow the cleric as a support character to shine and, and be in the spotlight for that moment.
0: Yeah, it's a lot easier to be a good GM when you have proactive players as well. <laughs> True. Just just to be clear, because all I did was say, so here's a miserable place I'm pretty sure you guys will want to fix that. <laughs> yeah. but I didn't have to plan much beyond that.
2: Yeah. And uh, we, we all kind of put money. our heads together and yeah. we were like, okay, so this is a miserable place. So how do we make it not a miserable place? Right.
0: right. You're working on it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're working really hard on it. We've, we've, we've encountered some setbacks, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah.
0: Maybe. I mean, sure. You're currently trapped in somebody's. Nightmarish dream of their past with a giant evil tree in the middle of it, but that's okay. Yeah, it's yeah,
2: fine. I'm, I'm sure
0: that'll buff right out.
2: So <laughs> yeah. one other,
1: one other. Thing like, wait, wait, wait! It'll buff right out, like yeah,
2: like a scratch in car paint. it will be fine. Well,
1: I like like a support like character. Buff, like a support character
0: buffs you.
2: But oh, called. I
0: didn't even. I accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just instinctively punning? Is that what this yes. is? Maybe it must be. <laughs> I now, to be fair, I
1: didn't say that one. Peter <laughs> no. said that one. I just turned it into a pun for him. <laughs> I I
0: just him to like out <laughs> <laughs> because he just—he didn't realize what he had done. It's, that's amazing.
2: <laughs> I'm a monster. I don't even realize my evil anymore. <laughs> One other thing that I want to touch on before we take off here, because we've been focusing very much on traditional D&D fantasy style games, is this can sometimes be a little bit of a problem in other game types, too, right? You've, you've got the, the modern game where somebody plays like the wheel man and everybody just looks at him as a taxi service or you've got a <laughs> hacker and people are like, "Ah, eh, you're just an electronic set of lock picks. You can't really do anything. OK, first of all. If that's what's happening, as the GM, do yourself a favor, watch a few seasons of Leverage, and watch the great Robert De Niro, Jean Renault movie, Ronin, from back in the day. I guarantee you, you will, A, have a very good time and enjoy yourself immensely, and B, come away with a stack of ideas that comes up to roughly eye level or so that you can use to help those support characters be awesome.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to see a good example of a wheelman and how they can take center stage, go rent or watch Baby Driver.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but
3: it looks so good. It, it is good, and it will uh, make you appreciate the wheelman a
2: lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I already had some appreciation for him after watching
0: Ronan, but okay. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. I do want to point out there's kind of a blurry line between your support character and other archetypes. The the line between support and tank. Mm. can be very blurry. The line between support and just control character can be very blurry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think that's not a bad thing because that suggests some directions that you can take your character. Like, let's say you're playing a cleric right now and you feel like you're just playing Healbot 06, then you can say, okay, what other ways do I want to do support that is more interactive and more fun? Do you want to be cool frontline dude who just locks everyone down? Free advice. If you're playing 5e, look at the spell Spirit Guardians. You're welcome. That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, do you want to be the guy who specializes in making, winning the fight before anybody starts dealing damage? I played a wizard who was basically that. And this is not quite even support, but this was very much on the control end of things. But my whole goal was to never cast a spell that did damage and to win fights basically before anybody else had to start dealing damage you know things like the grease spell or yeah. mind control where it's just like we got this one guy cool uh he needs to make a save against uh dominate person all right well we stopped that fight that was easy <laughs> you know yeah the old three five beguiler class was notorious for that oh that was nothing compared to what this guy was doing trust Gailed. me I, I know you I, were I a crazy
2: optimizer but yeah it's i mean that was one that just kind of had a rep
0: for that so yeah yeah It's that level of, I'm going to win the fight before we've even done anything. Sure, you know, the the party rogue gets to go up and get their sneak attack, and that's cool, but I know (laughs) that they wouldn't have had that without me, and that level of, Winning it before it starts, I think, can be very satisfying because it's like, okay, I've given us an enormous advantage. Now let's take advantage of that. So you don't rob people of those cool moments. You set them up for it. But you also like it's very clear that you have done that, which I think is very satisfying.
2: Yeah, which tends to make people very much appreciate your character, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's very much how I feel about playing Zarya. In, in Overwatch. like I, I rarely get play of the game, but I have on many occasions had people get play of the game from me using my ultimate at the right time.
0: Right. For those who don't know, Zarya's ultimate, a black hole that sucks everyone in the local area in and freezes them in place for a while.
1: Yeah. I want to say it's called Singularity, but I may be getting that confused with Mass Effect. But yeah, it's it's just very, very satisfying in a way to be like, I helped. I did that. I helped.
0: Well, and it combos so well with so many other skills. It does. It does. It doesn't do damage, but it turns out when all of your enemies are in one place and can't move in a first-person shooter, people who have AOE damage like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My my favorite
1: combo ever is shooting my ult, having Ana, a support character, buff like a Reinhardt or somebody who then charges in and just kills everybody in one hit like that's so satisfying because there's that synergy. And I think that's another thing that I really like about D&D 5e is that I feel like I can get a whole lot of synergy with the support characters regardless of what class I'm playing.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And and
1: finding that group synergy is is really really key in amplifying your support characters.
2: Being I part think. of the catalyst for that synergy is very satisfying if you're if you're being yeah. intentional about it. One last thing that we've got on here, and we actually touched on this a bit kind of in the Patreon question, uh, Tim in particular, but the support role at the table outside of the game, I think, is probably worth discussing a little bit.
1: Um, You guys also talked about it a fair amount, I think, in your hospitality episode as well, which I was not yet on the podcast for, but I greatly enjoyed. It was a very good episode.
0: Yeah, and maybe we just kind of want to refer back to that because not everyone is necessarily, you know, has as a spiritual gift. Listening to others and being kind of an impromptu counselor and that sort of thing. But if you are, that's something you should very much step up and do. And certainly, you know, being a friend does not take a whole lot of experience. Yeah. And anything you can do to help other people at the table, to be hospitable to others, to to support them, to make them successful as players rather than as characters is something we are called to do. Mm-hmm. Again, I'd say go back and listen to that particular episode, which I'll make sure to link in the show notes, because I think we did cover a lot of that there. But Mm -hmm. helping people out at the table is especially valuable. Yes.
1: We talk about the GM needing to be or how the GM should be the player's biggest fans. I think players also need to be each other's biggest fans or fans of the story at the very least. And and that is very much a, a supportive thing. We are all in this together.
0: I want to say fans of the other players at the table
1: okay yeah
0: focusing too much on on the narrative i think sometimes can lead you to say well i don't care how you feel the story should go this way Mm, yeah yeah right and i think that's dangerous whereas being a fan of the people at the table will encourage them to help you create a good story together
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and that also brings about moments where um remember uh our group doing this where a couple of us were like hey this this one person isn't getting a whole lot of spotlight time what can we do about that right and that was initiated Mm -hmm. by a couple of the players
3: yeah and we we talked a lot about or not a lot but we talked about the the gm creating opportunities for the support character to shine but actually kind of as we're talking and, and this goes back to what jenny was talking about that synergy actually it's pretty much everybody's responsibility at the table to try to find a way to make everybody shine, right? It's it's really mm-hmm. the collective, um, and that's really what should drive us to enjoy the game, I would hope, is the collective storytelling, building those moments that, you know, you talk about years years later, because there's moments in, in games that I've been in that, you know, we'll, we'll be talking, sitting around talking, and it's like, hey, remember, remember when that happened? That was really cool, and that's, that's where, that's everybody's responsibility at the table, to try to give everybody there that opportunity to shine. That's what a healthy gaming group does, right? It's not filled with people who are there to try to make their own character shine and, and do everything, but they're there to tell a story collectively with one another and um, try to give opportunity for every person to have fun and to shine. And uh, to uh, have the
2: spotlight from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end this one, actually. I think so, too.
0: All right. Well, Tim, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I had fun. Good. Excellent. Yeah, we are very glad we had you because yeah, very much. there was a lot of very valuable thoughts that I, I want to go back and listen to as I edit. <laughs> so I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you, all of you at home or in the car or at work or wherever you're doing your podcast listening for continuing to listen to us. We really appreciate it. If you want to follow us on social media, facebook.com slash saving the game, twitter.com slash saving the game, et cetera, et cetera. And if you want to hear more of our episodes, we're on iTunes, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, our website, stgcast.org, where there's also things like the blog post Peter does every other Tuesday when we're not releasing an episode and Various other things that Peter just writes and throws out there at random without telling anyone, just like, hey, here, I've got like five thousand words. Go. <laughs> Usually it's two thousand or less. Let's be fair about that.
2: <laughs> one that I'll go ahead and reference specifically, I uh, I'd been running into a lot of posts about people like, hey, I've never GM'd before, but I want to, and I kept having to type out these lengthy responses, and finally it was like, I'm going to type this one more time. I'm going to make it the best I possibly can. I'm going to post it on the blog and then I'm just going to link to it from now on. <laughs> I may have to go through and, you know, do another one in a couple of years when some of those things have changed. But for now, it's at least what I think is a really good collection of resources for a, a new or sometimes
0: even experienced GM to use. Okay. Well, from all of us here at Saving the Game, I think we'll wrap this one up here. Have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, See folks. Good night. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, Or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.